morning, we're going to pick up at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and go through verse 26. <coughs> it says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, oh, I'm sorry, stand for the reading of God's word. Read. Do you want the other one, Dean? We got it. Okay. We got it right. Here you go. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Can you hear me now? Okay. So. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now... As always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me, the word of the Lord. Well, we have a tendency, I think, um, to complain and even be resentful when we have to go through hardship. We just don't, we just don't enjoy that. Um, after all, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't God protect me from this kind of thing? Yeah. 
But God has designed life with storms along the way so that we move towards him and experience growth because that's what tends to happen when things get difficult. Bill Hybels, in The Power of a Whisper, said this, Don't ever buy into the idea that everything God prompts his followers to do will be uncomplicated or low cost. Sometimes God asks his children to carry heavy loads, as he did with the Apostle Paul. But even and often, even and often, especially under those back-breaking burdens, God's purposes are fulfilled. When our task is tough, the reward of knowing we've helped further his kingdom and bettered our broken world is all the sweeter. Paul's life was no bed of roses. I think if we spend any time in the New Testament, we know that. He didn't live the comfortable, come home for dinner every night and I'll have prime rib. He spent four years in jail, two in Caesarea, two in Rome. Not to mention the shorter periods of time he was incarcerated in other locations. And all because of trumped up charges, as Pam pointed out earlier. He was beaten, stoned, run out of town, and abandoned. On the way to Rome, so that he could be put in jail, he was shipwrecked, snake-bitten, and then upon arrival, chained to guards 24 hours a day with no break. Yet he said in verse 18 of our passage today, I will rejoice and continue to rejoice. How did he do that? Well, in the midst of difficult circumstances, Paul's faith in God allowed him to remain, first of all, confident. He was confident that God would use his imprisonment for good. God was using his particular circumstances at that time, his imprisonment for good. Paul finds himself in chains for Jesus Christ. He was in jail. And again, trumped up charges. People had lied about him. They didn't like what he was preaching. It was causing issues for them. So, they raised a ruckus and Paul was put in jail. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 and verse 17, it says this. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, in the turmoil and uncertainty of the Protestant Reformation, the Heidelberg Catechism from 1563 began with this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact... All things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. In other words, when God is in control, we can live with confidence. All through this letter, Paul is confident, not in himself, 
but in God who is using him, Paul, for his glory. And he says, and what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It says the whole palace guard and everyone else, I'm not sure who that was, but the whole palace guard and everyone else became aware that Paul was in chains because of Christ. And many of the believers then were encouraged and emboldened to share the gospel without fear because of Paul's imprisonment. The very thing that Paul lived for and he might and that he might have feared would be hindered because he was in jail, actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's confidence in God, and he realizes that he doesn't have to win all the battles, but Paul had confidence in God and realized that he didn't have to win all the battles, but merely keep faith and live with courage. Now, is he confident that he will be be released from prison? Well, we don't know. Um, In fact, he probably wasn't going to be released from prison. However, there's a footnote in the Bible, and he, he mentions this in verse 19. He talks about the fact that he will experience deliverance. And if you look at the Greek meaning of that, it's the word for salvation, or it can mean vindication. Paul has a lot of confidence because he believes God will vindicate and save him even if he dies. The lesson? God has a purpose behind every problem we face. In Paul's imprisonment, it meant that the gospel was advanced in ways that only time would tell. We know how directly it motivated the believers in Rome to become more bold and courageous in sharing the Word of God. What we don't know is the impact that it had on those tasked to guard Paul. These were men from the Praetorian Guard, an elite company of 9,000 soldiers whose duty it was to carry out the direct orders of the emperor. These were... This were, these were the elite of the Roman army. Members of this group guarded Paul on a rotating basis and were actually chained to him during their shift. Talk about Paul having a captive audience. These guys were in for it. You know they were in for it. It wouldn't have been long for word to spread amongst Caesar's soldiers that this prisoner was not like anyone they had ever dealt with before. What Satan had certainly intended to stifle Paul's ministry actually enabled the gospel to penetrate into the very heart of Roman political power. Do you ever wonder what kind of fit Satan throws when that happens? I put Paul in jail. Oh, wait a minute. Look what happened. Well, Paul was confident that wrong motives would not hinder the spread of the gospel. He talks about those who were preaching the gospel for the right reasons and others who were preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, out of rivalry and intent to cause him harm. Paul could have been upset by those who were trying to cause him trouble by preaching the gospel. 
out of envy and rivalry. Here I am in prison, and there's nothing I can do to stop these guys. Or he could have been jealous. I wonder if they're going to draw a bigger crowd than me. Or he could have been vindictive. Just wait till I get out of here. Sparks will fly. But that wasn't his attitude at all. He had this positive perspective that no matter what the motive of the speaker, if they were preaching the gospel, then the kingdom of God was being For him, that was reason for joy. See, Paul wasn't willing to waste emotional and spiritual energy on things that really didn't matter. See, to him it was the message that was important, not the motive. He was focused on what really counts. Paul knew how to pick his battles. And it's really important for us to learn as well what is trivial and what is critical so that we don't find ourselves stressing or being divided over things that really don't have significance. And we tend to do that sometimes in our denominational wars. We get caught up in what Paul refers to as disputable matters in the book of Romans. When in reality, we have much more in common in shared beliefs, those things that are critical to salvation and living a godly life, then we have differences. Most of these differences, in fact, are not worth quibbling over. And that's not to say that there's never occasion to take issue with or to seek to correct when another gospel is preached when the truth is twisted or misconstrued or misrepresented, there are definitely times when we should challenge such things and because of the potential that those things have to have to lead people astray. Lies certainly must be countered with the truth. And there's no doubt that Paul would have done whatever he could, even from his confinement, to counter those who were preaching if they had not been preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. But as it was, the gospel was being proclaimed. The motive of the preachers was not of concern to Paul. And then he was committed. It says, whether living or dying, Paul was determined to exalt Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I, am go- if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He doesn't get to choose whether he lives or dies, but he does get to choose to lean into God's plan for him, whether in life or death. Ready to die and go be with Jesus? Paul ends up choosing to do what was best for others. A, wa- a wise man once gave this advice, stay alive all your life. Paul decided to do that. For as many days as he would live, he was 100% committed to whatever opportunities God would give to him. E. Stanley Jones, a missionary to India, once said, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. In other words, shallow commitments lead to disappointment and dissatisfaction. So it is critical to be committed to the right things. 
How would you complete this sentence? For me to live is what? What are we truly committed to? You know, for some people, it's their work, it's their career. I love my work, it's my life, that's how I'm fulfilled. We probably know, we've probably known someone for whom it was all about career. That's how we make our mark on the world. All else becomes secondary to success, to excelling at what we do. Or for others, they're truly committed to possessions. We are a consumer-driven society. We're urged to believe that fulfillment comes via owning things. I always get a kick out of driving by people whose garage door is open and they cannot park their car in there anymore because it's so full of stuff. And I, we only get one car in our two-car garage, too, so I can't point my finger. But, you know, we have this drive to, as we say, keep up with the Joneses. But here's the deal. As soon as we catch up, the Joneses refinance and shoot ahead of us again. Someone has said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Consumer debt is a major problem in our country. You max out one credit card, someone else is glad to give you their credit card to max out as well. And many households we know are in debt up to their necks. In most cases... It's because we think we need things to be happy. We place a high value on happy. And then some of us are committed to status. And that can relate to the possessions thing. It's about the badge on the car I drive. Or the size of my house. Or how big the diamond is or how many diamonds there are. Or, it can be who I know and associate with. You know, important people. Really, that's what status is about. Feeling important. Me being better than you. Or, maybe we're committed to enjoyment in life. By that I mean we place a priority on doing things we enjoy sometimes to the exclusion of things that should be more important in our lives. Things like attending worship service or spending time with our spouse or our family. And even when the spouse and or family are included in those things we enjoy, because we like to be together on the water or on a camping trip or at the cabin, things that matter more than end up being put placed in the back seat to our recreation. I want to do these things I enjoy, and the things that I should be doing are put on hold. You know, one of the things that um, they say affects church attendance in our country these days is the fact that instead of taking big, you know, week or two-week vacations like we tend to do in years past. Families, couples, people take lots of short vacations. They, they get to, to, 
to do their recreational thing as often as possible. Maybe every weekend while the weather is nice or the roads are passable or we're caught up on the chores we need to do at home. So what we do is we live to relax and have fun. We just kind of get through those five days a week so we can enjoy our weekend. And all these things and more, be they status or possessions or enjoyment or whatever they are, are seen as bringing fulfillment to us. So we commit to them our time, our energy, and our resources. But they don't last and ultimately they don't satisfy. It's not that these things are all bad. It's the issue of where we place the priority in our lives. You've heard it before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, Paul had a great sense of and commitment to the things that were of eternal value. And so should we. It is those things in which we will find fulfillment. And then, Paul was convinced. He was convinced that God would continue to use him in ministry. Paul has come to the conclusion that that even though he would prefer to depart and be with Christ, you know that passage I read earlier, or... um, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are challenging verses to me. Because I'm not sure this is how I feel. I would rather be out of here. But that's what Paul wanted. That, well, that's what he, he was hoping would actually happen. I would really like just, you know... If the Romans decide to execute me, that's fine with me. I get to go and be with Jesus. That's what he really wanted. He would prefer to depart and be with Christ. But he also came to the conclusion it is better to stay and serve Christ in continued ministry to the Philippians. He sets, his own, he sets aside his own preference in favor, favor of what he knows to be in the best interest and spiritual progress of others. <clears throat> he is modeling for those he is writing to what it means to put your own interests, to submit your own interests to the interests of others. And so, in spite of Paul's uncertainty about the outcome of his imprisonment and trial, he expresses a certainty that he will be delivered as God acts for the benefit of the church. He wanted to be used in the benefit of others, the benefit of the church. And given the congregation, the Philippian congregation's continuing need for Paul's ministry, he expects that he will be released and renew his service to them. So my question is, are we as convinced as Paul was that we are here not just to look to our own interests, but to the interests of others? See, we live in a culture that tells us that we have to look out for number one, right? We have to look out for number one. 
because nobody else will. God is telling us through Paul that it isn't about me, it's about us. That's what's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. I mentioned to you before how often in the New Testament the writers, especially Paul, uh, and, and in the epistles, says together, talks about together, each other. We see it over and over and over again. And a little later in the passage, uh, in the book of Philippians, he'll address that issue more specifically. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul was convinced that God would continue to use him in ministry because his priority was service to others. So, in this passage we see that, that Paul was confident God has a purpose behind every problem he faced and that we face. Paul was committed to exalt Christ and his cause. That was the priority of his life. And Paul was convinced God wants to use me to continue, continue to use me for the good of others. And I trust that we too are confident that God has a purpose behind the problems we face that we are committed to exalt Christ and His cause in our lives. And we are convinced that God wants to use us for the good of others in the selfish world. Amen. Father, we thank You for this scripture and this incident in the life of Paul going to the imprisonment of Rome. As he wrote to the Philippian church, the church that he dearly loved, and he shares his heart with them. He shares what's going on in his life. He shares what he's feeling for them. He shares his priorities. He shares his commitment. His confidence. And he shares that he is convinced that he will continue in the ministry for their good. Lord God, those are things that should be evident in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ as well. Confident, committed. You have a plan to use us for the good of others, for the good of the advancement of the kingdom. I pray that you have seen them for It was. It was a letter intended to encourage them to do the same things. Confidence and commitment. Father, thank you for the